Today's episode is brought to you by Diane Kinlaw of Go Prime Mortgage and Jamie Tulak of EXP Realty. It's said that Warren Buffett said that when people are fearful, be greedy. When people are greedy, be fearful. How does that apply to this situation, do you think? I like his approach. It is kind of a kind of a counterintuitive sort of thing, and that's and that's always worked. And studies show that if people that are not working with an advisor or don't have a plan and don't don't have that level of self control tend to get in and get out at the worst possible times. Right. But again, if somebody said, "Hey, this is one blip, and I have a 20, 30, 40 year timeline of how I need the money." When you view it in that context, it's a little less impactful the day to day. And a lot of people are saying, hey, the market's going down. I want to buy, buy, buy. But I also don't know a lot of people that it's part of their strategy to actually keep cash on hand on the sidelines, right. waiting for the market to go down to then quickly jump in. Because in theory, it works really great. But I heard someone recently refer to it as trying to catch a falling knife. If you do it successfully, it's really impressive. If you fail, it's really bad. <laughs> so it's very hard to judge where the bottom is going to be and where the top is going to be. Thank you for listening to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. Visit guyswhodostuff.com. You probably shouldn't Google that. Welcome to the Guys Who Do Stuff podcast. I am Joe. I'm Caesar. <laughs> you never say your name. I don't say it lately. <laughs> I'm Josh, everyone. So we are super excited. This is the first time we're recording in our new studio space. Mm-hmm. That's it's exciting. Right. It's the third space and it's a giant. It's giant. It's it's compared to our previous two closets. Yeah. It feels a... very generous with the space. And we're excited to be sitting here in our new studio with Josh Tirado from JT Financial. Woohoo! Thank you very much. Yeah, Pleasure thanks to be for here. Coming. We're so excited to talk to you now. We've tried to have financial advisors on, and they just couldn't do it. They don't have Uh, too many rules. (laughs) There's too many rules. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of rules. Compliance can be a bear in this field. Let's go ahead and just start by telling us a little bit about yourself, Josh. I'm six foot four, like long walks on the beach, (laughs) keeping six feet away from everyone else. (laughs) That Um, is one of the benefits of the new studio. We are the state-mandated six feet away. (laughs) We just kind of all lean back. (laughs) We have a state-mandated studio, everyone. Feel free to book yourself today. Also Um, pina coladas? Oh, (laughs) sunsets. Well, all things beach. That being said, I'm, I'm a born and raised Jersey guy. Grew up about two blocks from the ocean. And came down to to the Triangle about four years ago. I went to Cary because I was told from being up from north, when you come down here, you have to go to Cary. It's like, right. it's like a mandate. So did two years in Cary and, and now in Holly Springs. And I know most of the podcast can be about the business, so financial advisor. Yeah. How long have you been a financial advisor? I'm 42. So I've been in business for 22 years. Okay. And so how long have you been with JT Financial? Since JT Financial is my company, I, I started it right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. So I, I haven't been independent the whole time because okay. you have to start someplace as an intern and get training and that sort of thing. But I guess officially that company came to be in 2000 after I graduated college. But it's it's been an independent practice ever since. Wow. So 20 years. Congratulations. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. When was the time where it went from like a side hustle because it's always been there to the full time? When was that? I got licensed and started between my sophomore and junior year of, of college. School came first. I went to school on a, on a track scholarship. So school came first, track came second, work and the internship came came third. Yeah. But that was for the, the junior and senior year of college and then graduated, officially took a month off and then opened the doors of my office and was up and running. So yeah. it's it's kind of what I've, when people are like, oh, what'd you do before this? Well, nothing. 
this is this is my career. This is what I've always done. So yeah. Well, there's something cool about that. You just have been in the same lane doing the same stuff. So what about financial advisory is energizing to you? Growing up, my dad got me interested in the stock market quite early. So the the, the stock investing aspect of it yeah, was what did always that look interesting. Like? Did he let you invest? He didn't. Coming from a middle class to lower middle class family, there wasn't the money there to invest. Right. But, but back then when there was still a paper newspaper that people read and all the stock prices were posted, he would have me look it over, show me how to read it. And then we kind of went in depth as to what would you invest in and why. And being a kid, I picked Toys R Us. Right. And Toys R Us was still in business because that made sense to me. And it was, it was pretty <laughs> cool because you could watch it go up and, right. and, and it did quite well. And I kind of got hooked on that and I liked that. And then as I got older, I went to school for business and I kind of thought, hey, I just I want to be in business. And then I kind of thought, okay, business or a stockbroker, one of those two things. I thought the investment side was cool. And then when I realized that you could do the fee-based planning, so it wasn't just you were have a hot tip and sling stock, but you were doing meaningful planning and goal setting, actually helping people achieve something yeah. and having a relationship with them. That to me was great. You could still do the investments, you could do the insurance, and you could do the planning and have it all wrapped in one. And now they use the term holistic, but back then it was just like, hey, this just felt like the right thing to do. Right. And there was a good company by my college who had just relaunched their intern, <clears throat> pardon me, their internship program. And that was made available to me. So then I said, you know what, let me try this out. And as soon as I got my feet wet, I was like, I really like this. I'm helping people. I'm watching. And now that I've been in it this long, you can actually see people achieve their goals. I've been in it long enough for people who started a college fund when their kids were born are now in college or graduating. That's satisfying. There's the sad part where I've also had to deliver claims on life insurance or disability insurance or long-term care, which is sad, but also kind of gratifying because you see how much good it's doing for the family. So when you start out, you're taking the leap of faith saying this will work out. But then over the past 20 years, it's proven itself to be really great and really satisfying. So for those people that maybe don't know what fee-based financial advisor is, can you kind of unpack what that, what your services looks like? Sure. From my standpoint, when I say fee-based, there's two realms of fee-based out there right now. There's if you're charging a fee for managing someone's money, and there's an actual fee for planning. And when you're doing the fee for planning, it crosses over into that you're a fiduciary. So unless you're doing the, the fee for planning, if you're doing something that's, that's commissionable, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's right for some people. But that purely means that the, the standard of care is that you vet the investment, that the investment's quality. When you have the fiduciary standard, what you're saying is you're putting the best interest of the client above everything else. So yes, it has to be a good investment. It has to be an appropriate strategy. You have to work with them, but always their interests have to come before anything else. Yeah. And I really like that. So for me, we do the fee for planning. So someone is is paying the fee to get the advice and the, and the full financial plan and we sit down with them and it's all personalized and that's a number of meetings throughout the year. And then from there, anything else is secondary. The, the investments, the insurance, whatever, that's just tools to get them to where they're going. But right. setting up that, that roadmap and those turn-by-turn instructions is, is primary in my practice. So I love talking to somebody that's been doing what they've been doing for as long as you have. Uh, I'm curious though, when you rewind back to the beginning and you're just getting out of college and you're just getting mm -hmm. started, what did those first couple of clients feel like? Was it friends and family? Were you just making phone calls, knocking on doors? Right. I was first told to go to friends and family. I was very leery of that, though, because I did have that concern in the back of my mind. What if I don't make it? I don't want to start working with somebody and then not make it and, and let them down. Right. Um, fortunately, that turns out that- so you go to the family you don't really like that much first. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> some distant There's cousins. Some cousins. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. It, it was some people in college, but it was also, I, I, had, I had worked part-time jobs, whatever, through college. So knowing some colleagues, I kind of reached out to them 
and said, listen, I, I don't want to impose upon you. I'm looking to do this. Is there somebody you'd refer me to that, that we right. could have a chat with? I did that and I approached some, some uh, other professionals and did some mailers to people that had new mortgages when people still got mail and read their mail, paid mm-hmm. attention to it. So the first couple of clients were all like around my age. It was early to mid twenties, usually singles or people starting off family wise. And, and it's, it's grown from there. Plus I was really, really baby faced back then. So when you're 20 and you can't even, you, you know, you go to someone's house now for your beer and you have to politely decline it. <laughs> that's, that's a bit of a problem. So, so yeah, was your it, financial advisor is like, no, sorry, not old enough to drink. It was, it was tough. It was tough. I tried to politely avoid it whenever possible. No, no, no. I have to drive back to college. Yeah, I can't, can't really do that. So, so I grew a goatee as soon as I could. And now all these years later and two daughters later, I have a lot of white hair and a few more lines. And I, I, I looked the part. Yeah. Finally got there. <laughs> Why financial advising? What is it about the field that is energizing to you? So what's motivating for you? I, I guess when I reference growing people long term, that being very satisfying. When I've taken one of those personality profile tests back mm-hmm. in school, it came out that the, the number one trait for me was an expressive person. So I need to talk with people, interact with people, and enjoy hanging out with people. My secondary trait was an analytical so what's cool about this job is it satisfies both of those needs where I get to interact with clients and they really do become long-term friends and you enjoy working with them. Yeah. But then my secondary need of being more of an analytical person kicks in and I can do the planning, I can do the investments. So every time I meet with somebody, my two primary um, focuses are both fulfilled at the same time. Pl- yeah. Plus you're, you're, you're helping someone. There's a lot of great jobs out there where I don't think you ever see the end result of what you're doing and what you're working on. I mean, you might be part of a team, you might be inventing something, but you don't get to see how it affects the end consumer. This is great because you can see directly how it's impacting for for the better people's lives. Yeah, And and that to me is very fulfilling at at the same time that it kind of scratches my itch to enjoy being around people and, and be helpful. So at the end of the day, I might have five or six meetings. My voice might be gone. I might be, I might be exhausted, but I feel really good. I feel fulfilled. I feel energized. Like, Hey, I could go one more. Right. Yeah. So you, like many of us, you, you went to school to learn about the topic that you want to spend your life doing. And then you became a business owner. And there's always that conversation Mm -hmm. that comes up where it's like you proficiently know and understand the thing. Running a business is a completely different animal on top of that. And so who did you have in your life? Did you have any mentors, anybody help you kind of set it up as a business? Because it seems like you already knew what you were doing. You knew why you wanted to do it. But then to run it as your own company, that's a whole nother leap. That's the hardest part by, by far. And that's my biggest gripe with the industry when it comes to financial planning and investments. The whole industry can, can teach you a lot about interacting with people. They can teach you about the investments, what's appropriate, what's not, strategy, all of that. But, but there is virtually nothing out there that teaches you how to be a business owner. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to my industry, turnover in the first three years is 96%. Really? Yes. That's crazy high. Yes. So, so if a company has it down to 92%, they're all stars. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. But, but part of that is they teach you to, they teach you how to sell, they teach you the product, like again, all those skills, but they don't teach you how to set it up and run run it as a business. And that's a real problem. And the people who make it in this industry are the ones that figure that part out. Yeah. So how did you figure it out? Well, a lot of that on my own. A lot of that was, I was just kind of natural entrepreneur. Like I I had that goal I saw early on. I don't want to be a salesperson. I don't want to just be a consultant. I want to be the business owner. So I, I was really striving for that. I think there's many more tools now than there were 20 years ago to help people with that. Yeah. Because 20 years ago, you didn't have a cell phone or YouTube, right? So you were learning with the old school way. You had Encyclopedia Britannica. (laughs) It 
it, it was very old. I think my first laptop cost thirty five hundred dollars. Oh my gosh! And and I mean, it's a brick compared to anything you have now. And I think I had original Motorola little StarTac flip yeah. phone that you couldn't text or anything. And, and you called people to find out where they were, and you looked at a map to get directions to their house or their office, or you asked them for directions. Yeah, there, there wasn't GPS. There wasn't even a Garmin back then when I first started. The, the tools have made it much easier sharing of information and also access to things. But then programs like I'm part of uh, Launch Holly Springs. Okay. And I've been part of Launch Apex. So to have that built-in program where someone can go through that and immediately have a mentor to help them with the business, I, I think is is excellent. But I, I think as far as the mentorship thing goes, I think people need to find one. You, you might not have one for your whole career and they might not ever be the perfect person. But if you're gleaning even a little bit of information or some insight here or there or just watching what they do, as much so you know what to do as to what to avoid doing and right. avoid those same mistakes, I think that's that's really, really helpful to run your business. So there's some people I, w- I would refer to as mentors over the years. I don't know that any were actually professional mentors. One of the things that helped me a lot was I got into a mastermind study group at one point. Okay. And we were together for about a, of a non-competing other small business owners. There was eight of us we met monthly. And we were together for probably seven or eight years. Wow. And, and that was huge. That was having multiple mentors in one room in different fields. That was super, super advantageous. But some of the other people that I learned from, it was just picking up one or two things. And, and some of it was, and I think what was most useful was expanding my mind. Because yeah. when you first start, especially if you start off young, and especially if you're not exposed, like your, your parents weren't business owners, or if you don't come from, from money, shall we say, you don't realize what's out there. You don't realize the capabilities or the breadth or, 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 or what you could accomplish. So by meeting with some of those some of those other mentors, it was amazing to see the businesses they built and the lifestyles they built and what was possible. When I was looking at going, oh, I just want to run my business and do the best I can. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking at these things going, wow, why am I setting my sights so, so low? Yeah. Like there's so much you can accomplish out there. And, and I think the mentors really help to open up what's possible. I've often wondered, because I don't think I have like an official mentor, but I have a lot of people I've learned from and I would all, I will refer to them as mentors at times. And I wonder how many people are just like, would be surprised if they found themselves with that title. Because I think the definition of mentorship, there's definitely professional mentorships like the ones you're describing. We always hear about those launch programs and how fantastic they are. And they, they kind of have that built in for them. But then there's like the peer stuff where you just learn from people. I don't know. I feel like I have a ton of mentors that would probably be surprised if I called them mentors. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I agree with you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> He was so lean back and comfortable in the new spacious studio. He had to, <laughs> had to run up to the microphone because we're all trying to keep that six feet away. So. <laughs> oh, man. So talk to me about some of the things that, that really stick out to you when you're thinking early on or maybe the, the things that were most impactful to the way that you ran your business. What were some of those lessons? I, I think one would be to, to try things. To try a number of things. I think when you're new and you're starting out, especially if you have a limited budget or limited experience, I, I think you get a, you're a little scared. And, yeah. I, and I think you have to get over that and just try things, even if it's on a very small basis. See what works for you because you won't know. So, so I mean, taste a little bit of everything. Even if you say, I, I like, I'm in this chosen field, right? right. There's what, what's, what's amazing too about my, my industry is you can meet 10 different people that are wildly successful and all 10 of them structured, created, and grew their business in 10 completely different ways. Yeah, that's Whatever crazy. worked best for them and, and their likes and needs and their niches. So to me, if you just test out a number of different things, you can find what works best for you right. and then stick with it. And and instead of going wide, maybe go narrow into that one field. So yeah, I really do like that. There's so many building blocks of that too. Like you've got your personality, 
the type of people that you want to reach. So you're like your client base, the, the way you want to spend your time, the way you want to prioritize. And that's why it's so unique. And that's why you got so many situations where people barely ever grow the same mm-hmm. type of thing, unless you're a franchise and then you're told how to grow it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and usually they have a winning formula, but again, you have to, you have to fit into that box. There's, there's certain people that are going to thrive in certain franchises and other people. And I think it's mostly personality based that are going to have a real hard time fitting in somewhere. <clears throat> I want to say too is when I say about trying different things and see where you fit in, it's amazing how things have changed over the past 20 years. I mean, b- people are trying to get things perfect right out of the gate and that, that whole good to great, that book by Jim Collins and good is often the enemy of, of, of great. But at some point you have to realize I'm not going to have everything perfect yeah. right out of the gate. So you have to try things. You have to keep growing. My perspective on things changed. Once I got married, my perspective changed. Once I had kids, my perspective changed. The fundamentals I'm, de- I'm teaching my clients have stayed the same, but ways that I can connect with them on a personal level, I think, have changed over the years as well. Yeah. Um, no, I like that topic. I like the idea of making room inside of the way that your business grows to change and to not feel like you're somehow betraying the things that worked before. Because I think that is the big risk, right? And I think for me, what I felt it the most in, in the first year and a half of business is things like pricing, things like revenue streams, like what do I want to add? What do I not want to add? And I know for me, your advice makes a ton of sense. Like if I hadn't just tried stuff to see if it worked, I would still be wondering, you know? <laughs> and so I know early on, I, I decided to try absolutely everything. Like what's not a revenue stream for me? I'll try anything. Mm-hmm. Now that you have some data, you can start to pare down and make decisions like, well, what would I rather spend my time doing? More of this or more of that? Where do I think I bring the most value? What am I probably better at than other people or what am I so-so? So I want to spend my time doing the things that I'm probably better at so I can provide a higher level of service for people. Yeah. I had an acting teacher in New York who would say that same thing. He said, where should we put our time? And his response would be, audition for everything. Yeah. And then you figure it out, you know, your niche. Yeah, I think that's so key when you're starting out is you, you got to carve out time to experiment. I mean, and make time to, to see what works for you. So you're not starting out anymore. What have you learned is your kind of secret sauce? I only work with nice people. Okay. And over the years, I think one of my biggest takeaways that I developed a couple of years ago was as far as a client or referral or, or even another professional, I only want to work with nice people. Yeah. Life is too short to work with jerks. And if we're fortunate enough to be in a business where we get to choose who we work with, yeah. why would we not choose to work with people that we get along with and people that are nice so we can enjoy going to work right. every day? So, so when you talk about ideal client, my number one rule is that they're a nice person. Do you think that there's a bit of chemistry with that too when you're out networking and you meet somebody and you just know that you get along with this person versus there's, I think we all have personality mm-hmm. types that we recognize immediately like, mm, I'm not going to do well with you. I agree. You I agree completely. It. Yeah. You got it. Uh, what's the uh, Malcolm Gladwell thing about the instant identification of something? Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, but got a whole book about gut. it. Yeah. <laughs> you got to trust your gut. Yeah, trust your gut. But I like that, working with nice people. No, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, you. I met plenty of advisors who are very well off, but I don't like them as, as a person. And I've met their clients, and their clients are just like them. <laughs> so I'm like, if you're a jerk, you're going to work with jerks. If you're a nice person, you're going to work with nice people. And that's all yeah. relative. The jerks might think we're jerks, but you, you just find the people you vibe with. So they have to be nice. You have to vibe with them. And then in my case, people that are very good at what they do, so mm-hmm. they realize I want to spend more time doing what I'm good at. And if I'm not doing that, I'm spending time with my family or something else I value. Right. And that they want to use a professional and they want to, for lack of a better term, outsource what they're doing and get professional help with it. So if somebody 
want some professional help and they're and they're doing well in their chosen field and they're a nice person that's somebody I want to have a conversation with and see if we can take it take it to the next level and, and work together right that's that's really ideal for me that's what I want those, those sorts of introductions blink that's the name of the book blink <laughs> you got it blink Malcolm Gladwell. That is such a good book. All of his books are really outstanding. All of his books. Yeah, I like his voice too. Like he's just a cool yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I asked you about the secret, oh, secret sauce. sauce. So another way to get into that, I guess, would be earlier you mentioned how your priorities changed. And mm-hmm. so what are some of those some of those priority changes and how did they affect your behavior to to get you to the place where you feel like you're you're getting to work with the people you want, you're getting to do the things you like to enjoy. I'm curious to find out about those priority changes the priority changes just allow me to have more empathy for the people I'm, I'm working with and to connect with them better. There's a reason. And I don't want to, I don't want to bash anybody, but I, I sometimes I have a problem with someone who's a, who's a 20 year old life coach. Yeah. Because you haven't lived a whole <laughs> lot of life yet. And, and I realized that I was, that I was teaching my clients sound fundamentals at 20 or 21, but I have to say I have much more empathy for people as a, as a parent, as a business owner, as all of that. Now that I'm 20 years in. Right. Than I than I did before. So as long as you continue to to, to grow in your space, that, that's that's what I think is is changed over over the years with my with my perspective. It just gives me a, a deeper, better relationship with with people. Yeah, I know. For me, I don't know how you guys are, but things were a lot more black and white when I was younger. Mm. Everything there was there was this very clear like here's the right thing to do like youthful I don't know what it would be pride youthful arrogance like yeah this do this thing. And I, and I think back to the way that I thought when I was younger versus now that I'm coming up on 40. And it's not that there's so much more gray. It's just that there's so much more understanding. I like your word. There's so much more empathy mm-hmm. for people. Like, yep, ideally, you would probably do this really simple thing, but there might be 12 things behind it that prevented you from making that decision. And you've got all these other things to consider. And it slows you down. And it helps you just be more understanding and more caring about where people are at. Empathy's huge. I mean, I can attest to it too. Like just finding being more empath- becoming more empathetic helps you in so many ways. To yeah. Connect with humanity. And, and, and Joe, that's, from that's, six feet away. From six feet away. <laughs> <laughs> connect. Just, just not, just not too much. <laughs> but, but you're right though. Like you said, it's not black and white. There, there is gray, but like you said, there's just more understanding behind what goes into it. Right. And that's, that's so perfect. I agree a hundred percent. So in the day of the life of Josh, what are some of the daily habits that you feel like are you really glad that you have set in place that help you be successful as a business owner? I'm going to say that I strive to have daily habits. I, <laughs> I, I think I fail more than I succeed. I, I love reading the blogs or watching a YouTube video where it says, oh, day in a life of this entrepreneur or that entrepreneur, and they have this perfect day set up. Yeah. And, you know, they're up at five and everything is perfect till they go to bed. I think they're describing what if they had yes. nothing else going on, what their day would be like. <laughs> yeah, pre- yeah, pretty much. And and I strive for that, but that doesn't that doesn't really work. So yeah. I, I am an early riser. So so that that it does start early in the morning. I did not used to be, and then much much later in life, I had my tonsils removed. <laughs> and seriously, when you're thirty something, you should not be getting your tonsils out at thirty something. <laughs> but at thirty, I, I got my tonsils out, and I stopped snoring, and I started sleeping better. And all of a sudden, I gained a couple extra hours a day. Wow. Because I had restful sleep and I stopped snoring. And since that point, I can no longer sleep in. So each day is very different, but I think it's important to know what you're doing each day. So the whole, the whole time blocking concept of, oh, I'm meeting with clients on these days. Right. These days, I'm, I'm doing the admin stuff, so stuff doesn't slip through the cracks. This time, I'm going to go do family stuff, that sort of thing. One thing I did start a couple months ago 
and it helped me start to get back in shape from college and drop 20 pounds is I'm not always working out every morning, but I'm at least going for a walk or a jog and I'm usually going out with, with my dogs yeah. during that time frame. And I swear on the days that I don't do that, I definitely feel more stressed and, and I don't think I, I think as clearly the, yeah. the, the focus isn't there. Just even that half an hour in the in the morning of, of fresh air and a little bit of exercise really helps set a tone for the rest of the day. I'm with you. I get the same thing. Like when I don't take my dog for a walk or spend that time in the morning, and even if it's like 20 minutes, like I used to try to make a bigger deal out of it, but now if I just do a quick walk, it still sets the tone for the day a lot better. I think it's probably a combination of things. It's hard not to enjoy hanging out with a dog. Dogs are awesome. And then you're outside, which is nice, which is probably helping like your circadian rhythm and it gives you a bunch of health benefits that are great and breathing in the fresh air. It's a great way to start the day. Oh, yeah. Do you exercise in the morning, Josh? I exercise my spirit. Exercise my spirit. <laughs> I mean, I get up and I spend time reading material and looking out and journaling a lot lately. Yeah. Daily, that habit has become more. And then watching my birds eat right outside the window. So, yeah. So you're still recovering, right? You can't do too much yet. I'm off crutches two weeks and off out of the boot for one week, sort of weaning off the boot. So I'm back to walking, and now I'm walking without a limp, and that's a great milestone. I had Achilles tendon surgery. I ruptured it completely playing basketball at Disney World. That is brutal. Yeah, that was tough, but here we are three months later, and life goes on. Good for you. That's yep. that, that's a, that's a tough injury. But my exercise routine is usually like afternoon. I like to get out, let the yeah. light out on the American Tobacco Trail, on my bicycle. So I'm now like on the circular trainer in the gym. There's a lot that we've covered. And I know that early on, right, when we're starting a business, we're spending a lot of time getting business. And we spend a lot of our time doing networking and spend a lot of our time making cold calls. And like you described, calling people and saying, do you know anybody that could use these services? And then now that you've been doing it for a while, I wonder how much of your time now, since you probably have a healthy book of business, is is spent doing taking care of the customers and how much time is spent recruiting. And I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. I just think it's likely that uh, <laughs> there are parts of the floor surfacing in Josh's hey man, lap. We're brand new in the studio space. I haven't glued down the outlet cover. <laughs> Don't touch that outlet. I'm not, I'm not trying to damage your space. My, my apologies for that. There's, there's no open wires, though. We're, we're okay. Yeah. Um, I, I know what you're saying, and I have built uh, what I feel is a, is a pretty good book of business mm-hmm. to this point. However, about a year ago, I realized that I still had a lot more bandwidth. Yeah. And I wanted to start bringing on clients. So I actually revved up marketing and I, and I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk, uh-huh. Gary V. And a lot of the stuff he says, especially if you bleep out all the curses, definitely resonates with me. When he was saying that every business you're in, you're, you're in a marketing business, no matter what you do. If there's not marketing happening, whether you're driving your personal brand or your business brand, things aren't getting done. So I was thinking a lot about that and I really have ramped up my marketing to try and find um, more of those nice people. To, to work with. Part of that has been because of technology. I, I'm blown away the last 20 years. Technology has come so far, so fast to to help us organize and streamline things right. that I, I'm able to get back so much more time and so much more of my day while still providing a better experience to the client at the same time. So that has actually freed up more of my time now to go get more clients and help more people and spend a little less time um, on the service side of it and have it automated so they're getting a better 
repeatable experience that happens in a timely fashion right. than even a few years ago. And and also the technology, the price has come down so much that, it, that it's, a, it's wildly available to people now. So I'm amazed that people in my industry who get started and, and don't set something up. I tell them right away, you need to have a, a good client database and set your systems up now because you don't want to be the person that you're going on a wing and a prayer and you're five years in and you're making it, but now you have to go back and update all your client information from all those people for all five years. And it's such a daunting task. You don't want to do it, but if you set it up right from the start, it benefits everyone. I think it's a, it's a constant thing for me where I am trying to get new people and trying to serve the people that I currently have. Well, but then as business owner, and we talked about this before, there's like a whole different third that you have to pay attention to, which is working on your business your systems, your processes, the things you're talking about. And, you know, thank God the technology is making it a lot easier and CRMs are getting easier to understand and everything is, uh, there's a lot more tools that make it easier for us to serve the people that we want to serve well. But there's, there's that whole other component of working on your business. When you were talking about time blocking, I'm curious from your perspective, how do you kind of time block your week? A very, very inefficiently. Inefficiently, I'm I, I I'm trying to work on it, but but truth be told, I do put in the family stuff first. Yeah, I look at I look at kids' games or practice schedules or what my wife is doing or things that I I absolutely want to attend, and the personal stuff goes in first, and then I start backfilling. Although lately, I've started to give much more priority, like, like you said, to the administrative stuff and trying to upgrade and and all my processes and really help streamline them to make myself even more efficient. Right. So I have dedicated time now to actually work on the business and in the business. I definitely separated those those times. I always, when you said time blocking, I don't claim to be an expert and I don't want people to feel like this show is like primarily for people that feel like they're nailing it. We're all practitioners. We're all learning. But I feel like when I would pay more attention to time blocking, I was a lot more efficient. And you just bringing that up reminded me that I haven't been paying a lot of attention lately to how I've been blocking out my weeks to to provide that balance between those just those three things that we were talking about business related as well as you add the fourth with just your family. And then there's all other kind of stuff that we should have in there, right? Like hobbies and our spiritual lives and all kinds of stuff that, that go into it. For me, I know that I only really kind of seem to take that stuff super seriously when there's some kind of crisis, you know, or some glaring opportunity that I'm missing or it's a loving conversation from my wife about how I'm, I'm not doing great in this area. And it's like, oh, I got to get back on this and get better about how I schedule my week out. Our title sponsors for this show are Diane Kinlaw and Jamie Tulak. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or wish to refinance, why not seek the counsel of a friend who happens to know the triangle housing market better than the back of her hand? As your local lender, Diane Kinlaw knows how important this area is to you because it's her home too. That's why she's made it a goal not to just be the best loan officer around, but a community leader supporting small businesses with referrals and networking events and supporting local charities with frequent fundraisers. If you're looking to move to Holly Springs or the surrounding area, or maybe interested in a refinance to lower your term or rate, Diane offers a wide array of programs to fit your family's needs. Let her be a part of your path home. A home doesn't have to be a dream. Let Diane make it a reality. You can contact us at www.goprime.com and search for Diane or call 919-624-9541. GoPrime Mortgage Incorporated, company NMLS number 69551. Diane Kinlaw, NMLS number 1600777. GoPrime is an equal housing opportunity lender. 
Today's show sponsor, Jamie Tulak of eXp Realty, has a passion for serving clients and nearly a decade of industry experience as a top producing realtor and designer. Jamie Tulak of eXp Realty will help you reach your real estate goals. Whether you're buying, selling, investing, or renting in today's market, having an experienced real estate expert working for you is crucial. And don't forget to ask her about her hometown heroes credit for military, police, firefighters, teachers, and medical providers. Contact Jamie Tulak today at 559-707-1913. That's 559-707-1913. MRP certified. Speaking of crisis, Josh, what are your thoughts on the current state of the economy with the the uh, coronavirus and the stock market? I, I knew that was coming. Um, <laughs> How can we not talk about it? It's no, like, no, of course. We're just in the beginning of what feels like could be a really weird new normal. For we should everybody. have a little yeah. like button we push and it plays some funky pre-recorded. The elephant in the room. <laughs> we got wow. it right there. Yeah. yeah. I'll find some music to match that. You're that welcome. Was, that was terrific. <laughs> You're welcome. I like world. That. You're welcome, world. But I, I have a financial advisor as well, and I got the email from him like, hey, don't lose your crap. Like, we see it too. You know, so there's obviously people are freaking out. I think when anytime the market's down, my wife and I were like, man, I wish we had some money to buy. And yeah. then we had like things where stuff would swing like 9%. In the, like we had the lowest... And so I'm I'm talking so you don't have to because I don't know what the crap I'm talking about about like a lot of financial advising stuff, but but it's just so much stress and worry. It seems like it's bundled up right now, and it's, you get it on the news, you get it from people. We don't know how to shake hands anymore. We, do we just kick each other? Like you know, it's all that crazy stuff, and because it, it's so new right now. Yeah, people talking about invest in sex doll stock and drug stock and uh, alcohol stock, like and all the fake news stuff that's going on. Like the one that said like sex will like constant sex, which was turned out that was fake news. It was like a CNN spoof or something like constant sex cures the coronavirus <laughs> masturbation <laughs> i heard that one i read that one too yeah it's yeah. yeah there's just a bunch of fake news just a lot of stress so how does that affect your clients and your job so let me officially just say as a, as a disclaimer which i'm sure this will make compliance happy what i'm about to tell you is just my personal opinion and my personal experience right that's all we got man but let me, let me just put that <laughs> And you're right. To some degree, this is uncharted water. I mean, I was around for the tech bubble burst in 2000, 2001, and I was around for 08, 09 with, the, with, the, with that whole debacle. This is different. I am now proactively reaching out to all of my clients just to, and not talking them off a ledge, but just to say, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you about what's going on. I'd like to address your concerns and, and fears. And some of them got a little worried because they're not used to me reaching out in, in that sort of capacity. But I, I said, this time is different. And honestly, the conversations are 10% the market, 90% the coronavirus and how it's going to impact them personally. And they're worried about their, their older loved ones and their health and how they're right. going to telecommute if they can or how work is going to go and what's going to happen over the next couple of months. And that's 90% of the conversation yeah. ha- has been that human side and 10% has been almost for some clients, almost just paying lip service to the market. I think they just wanted to talk and we covered the market just, just a small bit, but just even the other day, the, the, if you look at the Dow, we're, we're looking at very few stocks compared to everything that's out there. And again, we're looking at stocks, not bonds, not real estate, not everything else. It's just very concentrated. But the one day the the swing down was huge, right? Over 2000 points. And the next day it went back up just shy of 2000 points. So, so it was two really, really traumatic days right. for people. But at the same time, at, it, when it was all said and done, it, it was 
almost purely level. And it's so related to like exactly what's happening at that moment. Like last Friday, right? The market after Trump's speech went up crazy. Yeah. People were like, oh, okay. Sounds like there's a bit of a plan or whatever people's thoughts were that made them feel like they got a sense of confidence back. But I think you're right. I think so much of it is like, well, the market, sure. But everybody's just concerned about Corona and what that's going to do. And we were talking before the show. We're in the point right now. So this will be a couple weeks before this airs. So when we're talking about this, we just heard that like Ohio and California closed down all their restaurants and all their bars for a couple months. And if you were like me, you're watching the news for a long time wondering, is this blown out of proportion? Like, is this like a big deal? We're making a big deal out of it. And in the last week or so, it feels like, no, we should probably be paying a lot of attention as we see what's going on in other countries and the impact that it's had on their countries. And now it's more like, Right now, I feel like I was watching a news story last night about uh, in New Orleans, they were trying to clear the streets, but people are still just going out and partying. And it feels like people are like criticizing those people like, yeah, you're being selfish. Uh, There were some people out celebrating St. Patrick's Day, like in Boston or something, and they were interviewing them and they're like, we're fine. We're we're in the group that's not at risk. But I think the the thing that other people think about is like, yeah, but if you go home and get your grandma and grandpa sick or you get your roommate sick and they have somebody that's high risk down the chain in their life, we're just not being responsible. And so the CDC just came out, I think it was yesterday with the idea of like no meetings of more than 50 people for the next eight weeks. And to me, that's like a pretty serious recommendation that doesn't sound like, oh, it's probably something that's going to go away just fine. Right, like you said, it's on air for a while, so hindsight will be twenty twenty. Who right. knows what it'll be like in a couple of weeks? But in one instance, it's kind of fortunate that, that we're on the tail end of this, so we can see what other countries did and hopefully learn from their mistakes and, right. then, and then be proactive to get a hold of it. And I agree with you. I read one piece of news that is all doom and gloom, and the next piece of news is like, well, it's really not that bad. Yeah. And, and it is kind of hard to figure it out. But like you said, I think the biggest thing is just because it might not impact you so much, if, if your actions are negatively impacting someone else further down the food chain negatively. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a responsibility that we, that we should take seriously. I just want to pontificate for a moment about what do you guys think would be any kind of like long-term things that could come out of this? Let's say we, we get quarantined as a country and, and we stay inside like what's happening with, with Italy right now or in Spain. Ooh. And yep. what do you think is going to be some of the things that might come out of that. Josh and I were talking like, if you got states that are closing down the liquor stores, I mean, what is that going to do? Are people going to find themselves uh, less addicted (laughs) to alcohol? Are all these companies that are working from home, are they going to find out after that, after doing it for weeks and weeks, like, man, why do we have an office? Like, this is working out. Will handshaking continue to exist as a form of Introducing ourselves up yeah. to this? I don't know. Are we going to create a new weird elbow bump awkwardness? I'm liking <laughs> bowing. I like bowing. <laughs> yeah. I think you mentioned earlier, like, if you touch somebody with your elbow and then you touch somebody else's elbow, we're doing the same thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I just, mean, just it's, clo- it's our yeah. clothes. Well, there is going to be a baby boom from this quarantine. I, I, th- I believe that for sure. for sure. Oh, yeah. We can anticipate There's that. There's going to be a lot of kids with funnily spelled corona names. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I did see a lady buying a case of Corona at the grocery store. I thought that was amusing. I am kind of looking forward to a lot of downtime with the kids and doing some board games and hanging out and that kind of stuff. Yeah. When you said the trickle, there's one thing I can add in. I thought this was kind of interesting. I saw where some towns were issuing curfews. Not shutting the town, just issuing curfew. 
And my best friend is, is a cop. And I was on the phone with him yesterday. And I said, what good does a curfew do against a coronavirus? I'm like, I just don't understand the mentality behind it. Yeah. And what he said was when this first came out and people started working from home and, you know, the, the news got more serious last week. He said the first couple of days, everything was a ghost town. Right. Nobody was he's out, he's out on patrol like businesses are closed, restaurants are closed or minimally, minimally staffed. And, and he said nothing was around. There was virtually no crime. He goes, right. it, was, it was a really quiet couple of days. And then he said what happened is because they closed the schools, you're at day three, day four, day five. And all of a sudden, every call that he's getting and going on is some sort of juvenile call. Mm. It's all minors that are now home from school and are, are bored and are now trying to get out of the house and get into mischief and stuff is starting to... After to, dark. Yep, and stuff's starting to go wrong. So he said the curfew is a way for a town to, to put that in place so they can start to curtail that happening because he said it's not the adults. He goes, it's going to be all the juveniles that have too much time on their hands looking for something to do. And he said, so it, it, it's kind of trying to trying to nip it in the bud to, to keep to keep things at bay. Yeah, that makes sense. My wife had the same thought as soon as I came on the news. Like, what is that going to help against the coronavirus? Like, the coronavirus is less effective between 10 and 2 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it's more of a social and, and society thing. Well, especially if the parents don't have the option to, to telecommute for their job, right? And they're both out at work. Yeah. And now you, and now you potentially have some kids that are, that are a little bit older that can be home alone. But you have a lot of kids home alone with a lot of time on their hands. And you go into that a couple of days and a couple of weeks. And yeah. They're bored. I feel like what I hope will come out of the next couple of weeks and what we'll start to learn is right now I feel like I know why I should be concerned about coronavirus and what I can do to not spread it. But I don't know anything about the coronavirus. Like I feel like there hasn't been much coverage on what it is, why it's different than the flu, anything that would really help me. Because I think a lot of people, and I put myself in this category for a lot of things, like we don't really take action until we understand why. Well, I can tell you this. My wife is in the health care field and the studies are showing and she's spending a lot of time studying and communicating to me that it is 10 times deadlier than the flu when you compare how many cases there are and its spread rate is 10 times faster so the ability for it to get around yeah so it's yeah it's a serious a serious thing and there's an interesting thing that dean coots book dean coots am i saying that properly? i think so it's 1981 right. are you guys familiar with this book no. You seen this? Uh-uh. No. 1981, he wrote a book about a virus coming out of Wuhan that would go and devastate the world and the world economy, and it would go away as fast as it came into the world, and it was engineered, and it was called the Wuhan virus. Check it out. I'm straight up. It's uh, really yeah, you can look online. And I always find that stuff very fascinating. Yeah. Like when the Simpsons predicted President Trump way before President Trump, and then I was watching the oh, Simpsons yeah. the other day, and they had Schwarzenegger as the president. I'm like, all right, we're only like ten years out, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> President Schwarzenegger. Yeah. There was a Simpson thing too, where they had something where similar to to the Corona thing, where somebody in a, in a in a factory in China was sneezing into a box, and they opened it in America, and it came out, and everybody got sick. Yeah. And so, so it's it's amazing how predictive they are. And I don't know if if they're just geniuses or the fact that they've been on so long. They've just and they've done, done so, so many much. episodes. Yeah. At some point, they're gonna guess right. So much satire has been done by the Simpsons. What is it? Twenty four yeah. episodes over thirty two years. Like amazing. They've they've got it covered. <laughs> Let me let me just draw the, the the correlation from the Corona thing back to the market for one second. Just write a bit of insight. What I'm finding and through that discussion with clients, but also what I'm seeing is <clears throat> years and years and years ago, the stock market it was based on the fundamentals of of the companies that were in there. Did you want to own a piece of that company? Did you buy that stock? And if right. the company was failing, the stock went down, you got out. If you thought, oh, this company is real promise, you got in, and if the company did well, it went up. Now it's to the point where there's such transparency. 
And, and also remember 20, 30, 40 years ago, people were not in the market like they were today. They needed to have money. They needed to have a stockbroker. Now almost everyone's in the market with their 401k and different investments. They have to be in the market. And people are not, people are voting with their money. They're voting with their dollars. So to them, it's not so much about other, are the fundamentals of the stock market sound or that company or the economy. It's, I see something on TV. It's scaring me. It's having a negative impact globally. I need some safety. And they're pulling their money out of the market. Yeah. And then you see it start to go down and other people get scared and people start pulling out of the market. And then they do something to kind of shore it up and reassure the people and people go, oh, okay, it's okay. And they go back into the market. And then people are like, oh, I don't want to miss the upswing. I'm going to go back in. So what's amazing is it in most, most cases, especially with something like what's going on right now with the virus, it, it, it's more, it's not based on the fundamentals. It, it's, it's really based on, on fear, fear, yeah. fear and, and, and human reaction to the unknown, the uncertainty and, and, and people being scared and people are voting with their money and they're going out and think about it too. If you, if you really look where the concentration of wealth is, it's with older people right. and older people are being most affected by this virus. So many of the older people are more scared and more cautious than mm-hmm. anybody else. And I think that's really affecting the, the money movement now. It's not about the investment. It's, it's, it's about their, their feelings and, and they're projecting those feelings through their money. What's interesting is if you think about an absolute sort of bottom out in the economy, is cash even valuable at that point? You're pulling out all this cash, you're putting it in a checking or a savings account. But really what's happening is bartering becomes the whole deal with the tangible goods, right? At the worst case scenario, but we're not at the worst case scenario at this point. Question about the Fed. Can you clarify what it means that the Fed just reduced the interest rate to almost, what, 0% yesterday? What does that mean for most Americans, and how does that stimulate this uh, situation? There's two effects. One, there is a practical effect to them doing that, but also it's the same thing where they're using it as a marketing and, and, and media tool. When they come out with that, Wall Street views that very favorably. And they feel as though it helps to shore up the economy and help bring the market back. Right. So even if they say, oh, we're just cutting it by a little bit or we don't need to cut it, just the fact that they're doing something and there's that outward show of them doing something almost always has a positive effect on the yeah. economy. But I know a lot of people are saying, oh, well, I'm going to go refinance my mortgage or get a house now and it's going to be at 0%. Well, it, it's not. In fact, for the past week, and this might be a moot point in a couple of weeks, but interest rates have gone up. Even though the Fed's cutting their rate, the interest rates on mortgages have gone up. Because so many people have refinanced, so many people have bought a home that that the capacity has been taken up. We're, we're almost maxed out for the appetite of what the banks and the investors want to buy as far as mortgages go. So there's there's more supply and demand issues. There's more demand than there is supply, so they can charge more. So the rates have actually gone up, even though the Fed's cutting rates, which seems very, very counterintuitive. But essentially, when the, when the Fed's cutting rates, it just makes the money cheaper for the banks. So the banks can hold on to the money, lend the money, and, and it's cheaper for them. And, it, and in theory, it helps to shore up the, the economy. So why they're doing it, it is supposed to be a positive kind of like shot in the arm, a little boost of adrenaline to the economy to help shore it up and start sending it on the other, the other direction. Because like I said earlier, when it comes to the economy, especially on, on Wall Street, there's a lot of herd mentality. Nobody wants to be the last person there holding the bag. So if people start getting out, everybody gets out. People start getting in, everybody gets in. It's said that Warren Buffett said that when people are fearful, be greedy. When people are greedy, be fearful. How does that apply to this situation? Do you think? I, I like his approach. It, it is kind of a kind of a counterintuitive sort of thing, and, and that's and that's always worked. And studies show that if people that are not working with an advisor or, or don't have a plan and don't don't have that level of self control tend to get in and get out at the worst possible times. Right, because you get out when you're scared, which is a bad time. You get in when everybody else is getting in, which is a bad time. 
<laughs> so so it, it can definitely hurt them. Hurt, they, they hurt themselves long, long term. So, so there's also that self-discipline thing to go along with Buffett. I, I like Buffett's approach. I think that can work. But again, if somebody said, hey, this is one blip and I have a 20, 30, 40 year timeline of how I need the money. When you view it in that context, it's a little less impactful the day to day. And a lot of people are saying, hey, the market's going down. I want to buy, buy, buy. But I also don't know a lot of people that it's part of their strategy to actually keep cash on hand on the sidelines, waiting for the market to go down to then quickly jump in. Because in theory, it works really great. But I heard someone recently refer to it as trying to catch a falling knife. If you do it successfully, it's really impressive. If you fail, it's really bad. <laughs> so it's very hard to judge where the bottom is going to be and where the top is going to be mm-hmm. and try and try and do that timing. If you can do it successfully, that's great. But a lot of people, that's very, very hard to do and it ends up ends up being a negative for them. How about gas prices? We know they're going down below $2 now and Yay. we're seeing that decline continue. What's the, what do you expect to see at the gas stations? Will people line up for gas? If, why would they need to if they're not traveling? So. Well, I mean, you, you say, why would they need to line up for gas if we don't need to? But why are they hoarding toilet paper? Right. It's so, a fear-based thing. I know yeah, why. Absolutely. You guys don't know why. Absolutely. That's because if you can't go out for four months, what's the top three things you need? <laughs> One of them is toilet paper, guys. Well, most of your toilets are right next to your shower. I mean, how bad could it get? <laughs> everybody asking that question. <laughs> That's th- true, Joe. I think Amazon just sold out of those uh, uh, at-home bidet kits. <laughs> did they? Did <laughs> they really? Because I ordered one. There's a huge uptick in that. Like, all, all joking aside, there really is. Yeah. My yeah. wife's from the Philippines, so that's very normal for yeah. us. But we didn't have one yet, and then we do now. So, yeah. yeah. There, you, day. there you go. See, if not, I be, have what one if that's you. one of those uninfected in t- things that happen? More people switch to bidets in the U.S., which means we have less paper waste, and it's who knows? We just don't know. <laughs> it's evolving. It's I tell you, like our thumbs are evolving because of the use of our phones. <laughs> so is the way we clean our <laughs> beep. <laughs> Very muscular thumbs. You know, one of my friends is a water and sewage engineer for, and I'm not going to mention the state, but but he actually did comment on that the increased use of toilet paper and those flushable wipes that never fully disintegrate, that really truly aren't flushable, yes. are actually like clogging up a, a lot of a lot of the right. water treatment systems. Yeah. And, and he said actually cut back, and that would be good. So if mm-hmm. we went the bidet route, that actually really would. All joking aside, that really would be better. Americans, it's time for cleaner butts. <laughs> Get yourself a vote bidet. for cleaner butts this election year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and also what I really hope happens out of this because I think, I think it's terrible that it's happening and the people that are affected are suffering. And but oftentimes you can find a silver lining or something that that's good that can come out of something bad. And what I hope happens is kind of what you were sharing about, Josh, which is like we just learn how to be kind to each other. We learn how to pull together, and I think we do this as a country when we find ourselves up against something. When we're at our best, we pull together and we make it better. And I heard just a couple of things that I thought were so cool. Like, I know when they cancel schools, there's a lot of children that that might be the only meal that they get to eat. And then I heard that the Durham School District was going to pay their bus drivers to go drive meals out. And I thought, man, that's a great idea. That's a great use of two things. One, they get to pay their bus drivers who would be in that bucket that a lot of Americans might find themselves in as salary workers that are now finding themselves with additional challenges financially because their their jobs are closed down. And two, you get to provide those meals for kids. I'm hopeful for is that the news will actually report more on that and less on the fear of the things that people are doing to check on their neighbors, to be kind and empathetic to people and to go out of their way to, to make sure that people are doing well. Yeah, another idea is if you have somebody who's over 70 years old living alone in a house across the street, a widow, 
call that person and ask them if they need anything. And maybe let's start thinking about our older folks who are alone yeah, and helping those folks in some manner. That's, that's, that's excellent. I've read a lot of stories about some older people who are scared to go out and get groceries because they don't they want are. to be exposed at the grocery store. If you can go, I mean, and they're happy to pay for it, but if you can go pick up a few things for them, yeah, that goes a long ways. Some other things are, I know people are recommending if, if you take medication on a regular basis, try to stock up on a three month supply because a lot of the, if those places are shut down, there's not an effect now, but when things go back to normal, they still have to re-ramp up production and there might be a shortage of some of your medicine. I know that for a fact there's going to be a shortage of, and this really affects us, is air conditioning parts. Most air conditioning parts are made over in China, and it's been shut down. So if you're having issues with your with your HVAC, mm. it'd be good to get it fixed now because by the time June rolls around, there's going to be a shortage of parts to fix it. Interesting. So is there anything we can do now in the winter months to go ahead and check on our air conditioners, run them and see if they work, or have somebody come out and check them? What do you think, Josh? I think most of the HVAC places are offering free checkups or really minimal, like $25, $50 checkups so they can come look at it. I, I think that's just prudent. And, and also you mentioned about gas before. The gas thing doesn't have to do with the virus or the market. It's basically Russia and Saudi Arabia fighting over over oil prices and oil productions and how much they're going to put out there. So it's also kind of ironic that at a time when you're not supposed to leave your house and travel, gas prices are the lowest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And gas cans kind of ain't cheap either. Gas cans nope. ain't cheap, you know. Nope. 15, 30 bucks for whatever for a little two-gallon. It's a cheap so, time to fill them. Yeah. It's a cheap if, time if, to fill them. If you them. need some gas. But, yeah, it's kind yeah. of ironic. Oh, look, free gas, and I don't have any place to go. Oh, this has been this has been fun, man. I really enjoy talking about this kind of stuff, and yeah. I hope I hope that in in terms of what – we're going through with the coronavirus that we can all just kind of slow down and understand what's out there that's going to make us scared and understand what we have control over and make good decisions. Be smart, be safe, do things that are in the best interest of others, have empathy. That's all great stuff. Uh, Josh, tell us if somebody has been listening and they're like, man, I need to talk to a financial advisor. How can people get a hold of you? The phone number is 919-439-0101. The website which never has not changed in 20 years is JT as in Justin Timberlake <laughs> <laughs> or James Taylor, depending upon your age group. Um, but it, the website is jtfinancialgroup.com and all the information is, is there. Well, thanks Thank so you. much for coming on, man. Four three nine zero one zero one. Right? Is that it? Well, I, I mean, I guess you want to call me instead of Jenny, but yeah, that was, that was really good. That, that's good for a jingle, though. It is good. We, you we got should, a lot of potential here, Josh. Yeah. And Josh on. is going to be maybe possibly doing his own show at some point. Is that right? Just to mention that. That. Thank you very much. I appreciate that plug, Josh. Also, wonderful name on, on your part. <laughs> thank you. Um, I, I have not named it yet, but in the next month or two, um, I will be launching my own podcast, which, which will be mostly financial based, but. Also, some life stuff. I mean, I want my personality to come through. I want people to be able to get to know me and be comfortable with me. And I want to, I want to have you know frank conversations and offer advice that's helpful. So, if your name's Brandon. Frank, he wants to have a conversation with you. <laughs> it's a strong name, Joshua. And so few, so few use it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very strong name. So, so everything formally gets signed like that, but then I, I just go with Josh. Not a day goes by I think, am I going to regret this one day just by going by Josh instead of just getting the full potential? Yeah, of but the if name? you think about it, so I'm Joe, which is Joseph. Yeah. Right? Could you imagine how stupid you would feel correcting? somebody if they're like oh hey joe and you're like it's joseph <laughs> hey they'll never make that mistake just again. how pretentious are you gonna feel if you go around trying to correct people but imagine how powerful we'd feel if this was joshua and joseph and joshua meeting together <laughs> that, that, that sounds very powerful okay. and, then, and then if you go back to what was it Die Hard with mr joshua oh i mr. mean joshua. i mean that sounds really important <laughs> i love it, it really does. important as long as you don't go by joshy joshy oh joshy. in korea we go by you ever been to korea they always call i have not you will be joshy really Oh, yeah. They don't know how to cool. say Josh. It's just Joshy. 
I can go with that. Well, they know how to say that. I love Korea, my Korean brothers and sisters. But Joshi is your name in Korea, brother. Okay. Learn something new every day. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Gentlemen, been a pleasure. Thank you so much. We love making this stuff for you. You can help us out by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Get unstuck, tell a better story, and have a good answer to the question, what are you doing today? 